You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to this week's uh, episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. I am being joined by Dr. Walina Gould. Uh, she is uh, the founder of the nonprofit organization Diversity in Nurse Anesthesia Mentorship Program, former chief nurse anesthetist for 15 years. Uh, this grassroots organization program has successfully mentored over 577 diverse critical care nurses into 82 graduate nurse anesthesia programs. Uh, Dr. Gould was the lead consultant for a million-dollar HRSA Workforce Diversity Grant for the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga Nurse Anesthesia Program and was the AANA Chair of the Diversity Task Force from 2015 to 2016. In 2015, Dr. Gould was inducted as a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing Dr. Gould was the first CRNA of color inducted as a member in 2018. She was the recipient of the Trailblazer Award from the National Black Nurses Association. In 2019, Dr. Gould serves uh, as a member of the American Academy of Nursing Diversity and Inclusivity Committee. Uh, Most notably, Dr. Gould was the recipient of the 2019 American Association of Nurse Anesthetists Agatha Hodgins Award for Outstanding Achievement. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gould. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, inviting me for this podcast. I really do. Thank you. Well, like, you know, we had this brief conversation before we got started, but uh, like I said to you before, uh, you are sort of the essence of what this show is about. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. But before we get into your incredible work, um, I want to start with, uh, with, what I always start with my guests off of is how did you get started in the world of nursing and uh, how did your career path kind of transition you to where you are today? Well, my transition started in undergrad, obviously, um, but it wasn't, I wanted to go to nursing in undergrad, but I couldn't. I was a single mother on welfare. I was um, homeless three months right before I started school. Oh, so wow. I ended up getting uh, an apartment, but the problem was there was a barrier when it came to nurses, especially nurses that came from my type of background, uh, where um, you needed to have your own transportation to get to clinical sites. And a lot of the clinical sites were out of county. And there was no way for myself to um, get there on time, especially to get my son to a daycare and then go off to um, you know clinical. So what I did instead was that I ended up majoring in, in, in business, which was an accounting major. And I had um, I had secured a internship in New York City in my junior year during that summer for Ernst and Winnie, is an accounting firm, an international accounting firm. And then they ended up hiring me after I graduated from Fairleigh Dickinson University Nurse Anesthesia. I mean Fairleigh Dickinson University. And then um, I worked as an auditor for a year. After that, I got married. Then three months later, after that, then I went back to school for nursing because. That that is where my passion was. That is what I always wanted to do, and I just felt like the co- corporate culture was not for me. Oh wow! Uh, so um, so did you go through a traditional program, or were there was there a bridge program, or no? So instead, I did not go to a BSN program. I went through an ADN program. Oh, okay. ADN program. So and that was uh, it was much easier for me to do. I just didn't feel the need to have two bachelor's degree uh, for nursing, especially when both programs were essentially taking the same test to become RNs. So I did that and I, you know, I did, I did well in it, very well in, in, in nursing school, 
but my first position was an operating room nurse. That's how I found out about nurse anesthesia. It was certainly not in nursing school um, because the faculty, we had all white faculty. Um, I don't remember or recall any of them talking about advanced practice nurses roles and especially nurse anesthesia. So I didn't find out about nurse anesthesia until my first position. Yeah, um, that's uh, it's interesting you mentioned that. Actually, I have a, I had a student who just reached out to me. She's an ADN to BSN student. She's doing a transition program, uh, and she mentioned that she's interested a, a, in as a CR to be a CRNA, uh, but uh, she wasn't able to find anybody uh, to find out more about the program. And I, and I happened to have a couple of people that reached out to haven't heard back from them yet, but I also mentioned, I'm like, Hey, I have somebody coming up on a, coming on a podcast. So hopefully she'll get some information. And the reason I bring that up, that undergraduate, whether ADN or even BSN, I don't think we talk about advanced practice enough. Uh, and they're just simply not exposed to it. The students are just not exposed to it. They're not exposed to it, but, but it's interesting that you brought up about the transitioning because I worked in the OR. I was a nurse for eight years before I went into nurse anesthesia. Uh, so the transitioning for me was finding about nurse anesthesia in as an OR nurse. Then I, I you know, worked a couple of years. Then I went into telemetry. I worked there for a year, year and a half. Then I went to trauma, right? But the thing is about transitioning and the reason I still didn't have to go back for my BSN because that's what you need. You need your bachelor's degree in order to get into a nurse anesthesia program. It just so happened in, I live in South Jersey in Philadelphia, there was one program uh, out of six that offered a, a tri um, what do you call it, a bridge program. So that was for someone that had their bachelor's in another discipline, their, their associate degree in nursing, and then they can go right directly into the, and at that time it was 2002, I was enrolled in a program um, I was, you know, I was bridged right into the master's degree program. So I did yeah. not have to have my, I don't have my BSN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's actually, you know, uh, that BSN component is, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's sometimes the way we have written policies that BSN becomes a barrier for so many people moving into, like, I, I know so many people that have like a bachelor's degree in another field, have an ADN but they're almost forced to do a BSN to get into or get access to a certification or an MSN program or one of those things. Right, right, right. And, and, and I believe I, at, that, at that time there was 100 schools. Right now it's 124. But I think they were one of maybe two or three other programs in the country that actually had a bridge program. I'm not sure if they're offering that anymore at this time, but that was the only way I got in because I just refused to get another bachelor's degree. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. Right. I would hate to repeat something over and over again. Right, right. Um, so um, talk to me, uh, if you can talk to me about uh, your process of um, not only getting exposed to the CRNA role, um, but what was your sort of like your methodology in saying this is how, how did you find out what you need to do get it, to get into a program? I know you mentioned you worked, you started out in the OR, but right. how did you well, make yourself qualified uh, that you met the requirements and you were prepped in going into that program? Well, the, there's two ways I can answer that. The one was what piqued my interest was not, it was, it was the, it was the provider at the head of the bed that was given anesthesia. And again, I didn't know about that. I didn't know nurses can do that, right? So I'm looking at that as I'm, you know, I'm a scrub, I'm a scrub nurse and a circulating nurse too. And I'm looking at this, but also at the clinical site in Philadelphia, it was a level one trauma center. There was a black chief CRNA who was there. Mm. And when I looked at her, I, I seen a mirror image of myself. And I said, I want to be like her one day, That's one awesome. day, you know, so, um, so I knew by, you know, every day being in the OR, uh, whether I was, do, you know, in a room doing uh, GYN, surgery, orthopedics, hearts, um, any type of surgery, I was always with a nurse anesthetist all the time. So I would always have an opportunity to speak with them. 
and they told me about what I needed to do. First of all, I had to get out of the operating room because that skill set was totally different from what is expected in order to go into nurse anesthesia. But I also knew that I lost a lot of my skills too, being in the OR as an OR nurse. So that's why I had to go from OR to telemetry to get the foundational skills that I lost. And then I went into trauma. And at that point, that's when I knew I can apply right you know, to a nurse anesthesia program. And it just happened to be LaSalle University in, in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, but uh, you, it's good to have that access to people um, that, that can actually walk you through the process of what you need. Um, uh, did anybody, um, what was, well, not that anybody, um, what was your transition? How supportive was the organization that you were with to transition from an OR position into like a telemetry because in the ORs uh, you mentioned some foundational skill sets that were that may have been lost what was that found what were those foundational skill sets that you had to brush up on well the thing is is that I mean I, I was not I didn't have the opportunity to um, place IVs to titrate drugs mm. um, to assess patients uh, you know so it it's a different skill set for the OR nurse that have to work, you know, obviously in, in, in the OR to make sure that, you know, the cases are running smoothly um, to make sure that um, the, the OR tech um, has their, you know, their, their equipment and things like that. That's a different skill set altogether. Right. So, but I know that I knew going in that it was going to be difficult for me to go right into the ICU from the OR. Mm, so I, I had so I had to get some sort of foundational skill set before I went into a critical care uh, department. So what I did was I decided I was going to do um, telemetry first. Did that for a year at a, a at another level one trauma center, and then that's when I transitioned to trauma. So I needed that. I needed that experience. Yes, was it lengthy? Yes, it was very lengthy, and that's and that, and that's one of the reasons why I do what I do now because I rather I took a very I my my journey was rather long, so I rather tell uh, or or share or mentor nurses and say this is exactly what you need to do in order to go into nurse anesthesia. So their journey, um, you know, they don't have to do this alone at all. Right, right. Uh, and it makes sense that, you know, I, you know, a lot of times when students talk to me or, uh, you know, from my own life lessons, I'm like, it's probably, depending on what's on your plate, it's sometimes easier to break it step by step, right? Like, for you, I'm sure you would have been successful going straight into the ICU, but it may have been more to take on. So it makes sense to, you know, let me build some foundational stuff in a telly, then that way you don't have to worry about it when you go to the ICU. Kind of the same advice I give my students who want to go straight into an ER or straight into a critical care unit. I say, I would say, yes, definitely doable. You just have to take on more because you're, you have to learn some of your foundational stuff in the hospital. At the same time, you're trying to learn all the advanced care and critical care stuff that you have to learn on top of that. So something as simple as time management may become problematic because you haven't had that transition time. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, uh, I never, nursing being my second sort of career, I never look at people's trajectory of how long it took them to get somewhere. Right. Um, so it makes sense. Uh, it makes sense. Um, so talk to me, what was your process of, you know, you applied to, uh, a, a nursing anesthesia program, uh, talk to me a little bit about the program that you went to, and then I want to start getting into how you got into the world that you you are working in now. Well, that what happened to me in nurse anesthesia uh, in, in the nurse anesthesia program is at, is basically it laid the foundation of where where what I needed to do in order to advance diversity in nurse anesthesia. Period. Right. So it all started as a poster project. That's all it was, you know, and the, the assignment was for each of the nursing nurse anesthesia students in, in my cohort, um, that we could do anything anesthesia related. Uh, but the thing is in back in 2002, what they had, it was called a shared curriculum. So they no longer do this, but it's a shared curriculum. It was with LaSalle university, uh, Penn 
we did it with uh, Villanova uh, Drexel University. So we would go to each other's programs and we would have a faculty instructor, nurse anesthesia faculty instructor teach all the content. So mm -hmm. what I noticed being in these big, large classrooms with all these different cohorts from, I mean, cohorts from all these different programs, you can actually see who the nurse anesthesia students are in, in the school and they didn't look like me, oh. right? So, and also the nurse anesthesia faculty were all white mm. at all these different nurse anesthesia programs. So when we had the assign, the assign, the assignment, um, I wanted to know what the racial and ethnic uh, composition was uh, for the profession. So my poster project was called diversity in nurse anesthesia. And um, <laughs> so, so what I did was I pulled the nurses, the nurse anesthesia students from each of the programs um, because I wanted to know what they what their background was as far as the race being you know racial ethnic background and also I wanted to know what the national the national numbers were too so I didn't know how to go about doing that so my program director um, told me to contact the a the AANA the American Association of Nurse Nesses I just made a simple phone call to the Chicago office and they actually sent me the number the data and at that time it was thirty seven thousand. Uh, CRNAs right now is 57,000, but at that time it's 37,000 CRNAs, and it was less, you know, it was just a little bit above one percent of black of black CRNAs. But on my poster, and I have it hung up in my in my um in my office. But I still the, have it, right? Yeah, I still have it. So the <laughs> graph, awesome. the graph mirrored the national graph mirrored the the graph in Philadelphia of all the nurse anesthesia programs. Okay. Meaning, meaning all of the, you know, it was severely underrepresented. Okay. So the, so, and the thing is, is that I did receive an A for it, but I, there was something wrong. And I went to one of the program director at Penn who was teaching regional anesthesia, Dr. Arthur Swirling, who was, uh, ended up being a mentor to me. He was one of my first CRNA mentors. And I told him about my project and he said, he said, Lena, I, I, he said, that's interesting. He said, I want you to go to the AANA annual meeting in Boston. I've never been to a meeting before. Here I am a student. Um, and he said, because no one else is doing this. And I didn't know what doing this was, right? <laughs> so, so, and I didn't know a soul, right? So the first day when I went there and obviously the nurse, well, most of the nurse anesthesia students didn't stay at the main hotel with all the CRNAs. We stayed at hotels like 10 blocks away. We would go there. But that first day, this is how everything changed for me. All I remember was walking in the main lobby of the hotel, and I seen this black woman, this elderly black woman who was sitting in the in, in a chair, and her chain, her um, sorry, her cane was sitting was right next to it. But there was a long line of CRNAs, nurse anesthesia students, to shake her hand. And I didn't know who that was, so I did ask somebody, and they said, "Oh, that's Goldie Bragman." I said, "Who's Goldie Bragman?" And she said, "Oh, that Goldie Bragman was the first and only Black CRNA who was the AANA president, and she oh, was wow. also the the program director at Harlem School of Anesthesia." Now, mind you, I already had courses, classes at all, you know, all around Philadelphia, going to all these different. Not one CRNA mentioned her name. Wow. So I didn't even know about her. So I ended up getting on that long line and I ended up meeting her and I, you know, and I, I shook her hand and, you know, I was just, I knew then at, at that point that I, I had a purpose, you know, because for, for some reason, um, after that, she became my second mentor. So she, 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 she was, a, she had a very historical role anyway with Dr. King, um, um, when he was first assassinated in New York and she was the nurse anesthetist for, for him too. So, oh, wow. so that conversation with Dr. Arts Whirling at Penn led me to the ANA meeting, led me to, uh, Goldie Bragman, uh, um, who I, who I met and who was a pioneer in nurse anesthesia. But it was at that moment, I knew that this was going to be, um, my passion and this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so when you um, just just because I'm looking at your uh, as you're as you're talking to me about this, I brought up your uh, your website, uh, which by the way will be on the uh, on the podcast link, um, and I'm looking at these numbers um, 
Uh, how have the, what were the number, you shared a couple of numbers with us from before, but I'm looking at the numbers you have on your site right now. Um, and it's a uh, 2% uh, out of 57,000 CRNAs. Uh, CRNAs of color are making up 12% and 2% are African-American, 3% Hispanic, 3% Asian Pacific Islander, 0.7% Native Indian, 3.8% other or non-Caucasian, 87.5% white. Uh, I mean, that's that. those numbers are, are no joke. There, there's a huge disparity as to the people that are able to go into the program or actually seeking to go into the program and the access for those. Um, so how are, um, I, I, can we, I, I just want to kind of jump in with the work that you're doing now. I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, the work that you're doing now in putting in bringing um, or exposing and helping uh, 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 future CRNAs uh, uh, with of color get into the program and kind of diversify this field. Um, tell us about this this program and and what what you've uh, actually accomplished. I I know it, but I want everybody else to hear from you. <laughs> Right. Well, I, I just want to go back from 2002 with the 37,000 CRNAs. The aggregate number was 6%. Now, today, oh, wow. the aggregate number is 12%. And I do believe that what I'm doing and what I have done um, for the 15, 16 years have contributed to that number, right? Um, significantly. Uh, but the thing is, is that since that time I did that post project, I had mentored nurses and it was all word of mouth. Mind you, there was no website. There was no social media. Um, for some reason, nurses in Philadelphia area found out that I was giving out information about how to prepare yourself for the nurse anesthesia program, what the rigors were, what the clinical expectations were, how to balance family and finances and all of that. And, and, and at, when I graduated, that information grew from nurses going from Philadelphia to New York. So one thing that what I did was I asked Betty Walgus at the time, she was the program director at Villanova. Now here I am one year, two years out of as being a CRNA, still giving out all this information, mostly from my home. But the thing is, I said, I said, Betty, I said, I need space. I don't, I need more space. You know, yeah. I said, nurses are contacting me and I really like to have, uh, I like to share this more in a more formal uh, gathering. So she at Vill at Villanova at uh, one of the hospitals that that we that she that they are um, affiliated with at Chester Medical Center, she would allowed us to use the a very big large auditorium. So I you know I put the word out that you know that we were going to have this event, and then next thing you know, we had nurses from Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, and D.C. Wow. that came to the event. And it was all newly credentialed CRNAs at that time giving out information. And we had an experienced uh, CRNA uh, there too. But, you know, we would just talk to them again about the admission process, um, how, to, how to prepare for the mock interviews, how to balance family and finances, clinical expectations, things that they should know before they even go into the school. Because for many of them, like myself, I'm first generation. So a lot of them do not know, right? So from that time, of just using that space. And, and really that first five years, uh, that was the most difficult time because a lot of people were not feeling diversity. They weren't talking about diversity. They weren't embracing diversity. So, you know, it, it was, I, I received a lot of pushback, you know, during that time, but I just kept going and I just kept, you know, it just got bigger and bigger. It went from a regional effort to now a national um, organization. So now I have like three, uh, different uh, diversity pipeline efforts. The one is the first one is the RNs, critical care nurses who are interested in nurse anesthesia, but before they apply, they come to our event. And it's a weekend event before COVID. It was a weekend event. And on a Saturday, they will find out information about the program specifically by four different nurse anesthesia program directors. Then there would be CRNAs that would make some CRNAs of color that would make some sort of presentation anesthesia related. Um, and then also the, at the end, there were nurse anesthesia students and nurse anesthesia students uh, from different programs would talk about their different experiences because some of them were military. 
you know, and how do, how do you get into nurse anesthesia being in the military? So we need to talk about that. Some of them have children and we need to talk about that. You know, so the, these are especially of uh, nurses of color. This is on the back of our minds of like, how are we going to actually do this? How are we going to go from working as an RN and then not working for two to three years? How do you, how do you possibly do that? So we, we do that. And then that second day is simulation. So we'll use the simulation of the nurse anesthesia program and we'll have, now we average between 130 to 150 because it's a capacity issue. We can't go over above that. Um, so, you know, we have done that and, and that's where that number contributes. So now um, when they go to that event, they have also networked with other CRNAs too across the country. They network with nurse anesthesia students from different programs from across the country, quite possibly even trying to apply to the program that they went to, right? So now the networking has increased too. So before they even apply to the program, they'll have um, opportunity to have their personal statements read and critiqued by myself or 14 other CRNAs. Uh, we have group mock interviews throughout the year. So we'll do that too. Um, wow. I'll introduce them to someone. If they're interested in, uh, say, Duke University Nurse Anesthesia Program or University of Miami or Georgetown, if they're interviewed, you know, they scheduled interviewed, I would introduce them to somebody that's currently enrolled or someone that graduated from that program. So now they have someone from that particular school that they can actually talk to. So, um, and, and that's, and that's how you base, basically diversity is all about just relationship building. And that's all it is. That's all it is, is relationship building and access, access, right? So, and with that second initiative, we go to the, um, we have diversity CRNA HBCU uh, School of Nursing tour. And we also go to the Hispanic serving institution schools of nursing. And as myself and maybe 12 other CRNAs, we have our own anesthesia equipment, and we'll, t and we'll talk to schools, you know, the nursing students. Again, many of them are first generation, you know, and they don't know about nurse anesthesia. Some of them may be interested. Some of them may not be interested, but at least they have that exposure. Right. At least they have that exposure. That's, that's, that's all you can do, you know. Um, and then our third uh, diversity initiative is uh, diversity advanced doctorate symposium. So I, I usually have uh, a combination of CRNAs nurse practitioners, um, nurse midwives of color who have their, their doctorates, either PhD, EDD, DMP. And we all talk about our different trajectories. And at the very end, I have fellows of the American Academy of, 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 um, of, of color who will also speak about how um, they should build their, you know, their resume, how to build their re research so that they too can become members of the academy. So, oh, wow. you know, so my pipe, I have a pipeline opportunity for, for nurses of color or nursing students that are trying to come in because for many of them, like I said, they don't have, they don't, you know, a lot of them are, are uh, first generation college graduates. A lot of them do not have a mentor that they can trust and say, you know, I'm going to take this information and now I'm just run with it. You know, yeah, it's up yeah. to them after that point, if they're going to, if they're actually going to follow through, we'll, we just give the information. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I mean, uh, it, it just, it just, it just feels like you have, uh, you have almost, a, I want to say you have an in into wherever you want to uh, achieve, right? Like you have the information available to them. Um, and it's just a matter of opening the door and stepping in uh, and doing the work. Um, so that's fantastic. Um, now I, I, I had a, a, as you're talking, I've been jotting stuff down. Um, you meant, you mentioned something that, that clicked with me is the fact that you have individuals, uh, that are representative of the community that you're trying to build. Um, I happened to be sitting in a meeting a, a while back and it's something I mentioned. I said, the question was, how do we increase the number? Uh, how do we increase diversity among faculty? Um, and one of the things I mentioned is like we need to hire, and, and not just faculty, and you know, and also how do we diversify the community of students? We have a very diverse community already, but how do we like, stir it up a little bit more so there's more diversity or increasing uh, some of the populations that we don't necessarily see because we. For, for various reasons. 
Uh, and I said, we need to hire faculty that look like the communities that we serve. So I think that's, that's key. And you mentioned something like that. How important do you think for those individuals to see somebody and a CRNA of color speak to them versus somebody else? Well, how can, how can I put it? So in, in just being a student in a nurse anesthesia program, you can go through the entire program and not have a faculty of color. Right. Um, and sometimes, and, the, and these are in major urban cities. That makes no sense. Especially right. if you have graduates that came came from that particular program, that's telling me they're not even tapping on the shoulder of that of that person that graduated, you know. Right. Um, so th- that's a problem, and it's not just hiring nurse anesthesia faculty. It's also hiring when you go to these clinical sites for your nurse anesthesia experience, whether it's pediatric anesthesia, uh, right. cardiac anesthesia, whatever, you still have to have a clinical coordinator, a CRNA clinical coordinator. And most of the time, the clinical CRNA coordinators are white. Mm. So it's faculty and it's clinical coordinators too. But the thing is, is that that's an institutional um, problem where they have to be intentional right. as far as hiring. They absolutely have to be intentional as far as hiring someone of color. Now, the thing is, is that sometimes, and they do, they interview, you know, nurse anesthesia faculty, I mean, nurse anesthetists will interview for faculty positions, but sometimes they're told they don't have teaching experience. So so what do you (laughs) do? It's it's the same issue with like, oh, you don't have job experience, but. but, Right, right. You know, like everybody has to start somewhere. Right, right. So the thing is, is that. But I do know that there are white CRNAs who have been, uh, who went directly into faculty positions right out of school. So it's not like, I mean, I just don't understand what's going on. But the thing is, is that, again, they just have to be intentional um, with the hiring efforts. Because that's, I mean, embracing diversity from your website, the statement is one thing. But actually seeing your faculty, that's totally different. That that means that you that are, are, are engaged in the process of making sure that happens, not just with the faculty, but also with your student cohort, you know? Right. Um, but sometimes even that too, you got barriers such as GREs and things like that, that can hamper, yeah. that can hamper admissions as well. So, but, um, but yeah, it has to be an intentional effort. Um, something that, that, you know, that, and sometimes, you know, it, it, it falls in with the Dean, it falls with the Dean. Um, I I really do think that 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 should go on the shoulders of of that dean to make sure that it it actually happens because we're out there. It's just it's it's, you know, is the school committed to do that? Uh, Like I'm 100 percent on board with what you're saying. Uh, How much do you think because I think uh, having um, a diverse faculty is an issue across across the U.S. in any program? I think we, we have that issue. Um, how much do you think uh, pay gaps between what nurses make on the outside versus what they make in in an uh, uh, academic institution play a factor in getting more diversity? Well, I know that in schools of nursing, the the, the faculty salaries is usually higher than nursing faculty. That's in order to attract CRNAs. You know, you have to do that. Uh, I know that also too that faculty nurse anesthesia faculty also work maybe one day a week given anesthesia so that's even additional income that 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 they can have just to keep their skills up um, but you know like I said it, you know it has a lot to do with you know making sure that the CRNAs um, or diverse CRNA uh, applicants are coming through um, for faculty positions. I mean, just to show you just the acuity of the problem, um, just to demonstrate that in the Northeast area, because that's where I live at, um, in the states of Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Maine, um, in those states alone, I think there's maybe 35 nurse anesthesia programs. There's only one full-time black full, uh, full-time faculty member in wow. Pennsylvania, and that's it. Wow. That that's it, and that's northeast. Now, certain regions of the country, you will have other, uh, you know, like in Florida, you may have more faculty of color. You know, there's only two in Georgia. 
you know, um, so it's just, you know, you can just count on your hand at this point. And it's, it's, it's rather, it's rather sad. Um, but again, I think, um, it's, it's time that, you know, nurse anesthesia, uh, programs step up and just go ahead with the next hiring process to make sure that applicant is going to at least be interviewed, you know, and get the, and get the, you know, and get the, um, the opportunity to, to, to teach in their programs. And I think a part of what you're, what you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong is, um, programs just need to do a little, they need to do a better job searching, um, uh, for faculty. So they, you know, so you have, you have a diversity in applicants. So you, when you choose, you have qualified candidates that you've actively reached out to. Sometimes it feels like, um, programs, uh, just kind of put an announcement out there for an opening of faculty and whoever comes through the door is who they may um, actually, you know, hire from and not do any of the, maybe perhaps a little bit of more legwork to get a a bit more diversity in their applicants, qualified applicants. Well, the thing is sometimes too, and this is certainly true for nurse anesthesia, you may have a particular person that you're friends with that, um, that you want to apply. All right. Right. Well, I mean, (laughs) That, that's where networking. That's what that's what networking comes into play a lot of times. And that's what I always push. I want like you may be the most qualified person, but networking. And I think that's where your program is so valuable because you you actually actively proactively um, ha- have have opportunities made available to your uh, um, to to the cohort, so they are actively networking with each other and with uh, their faculty. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's extremely important. Uh, we have a lot of work to do uh, just overall with how we, there was something on, um, uh, on an, on a, on a program. I won't mention them. I don't know what the copyrights and stuff are, <laughs> um, but um, they were talking about how uh, the joint, I think they were talking about the joint chiefs of staff and how during the Obama administration um, they, they had diversity. And then now you look at the joint chief of staff, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you look at them and they're all again all white again so um so one of one of the things that they were mentioning is people have a tendency to hire people that look like them uh because that's who they for whatever reason relate to instead of looking at that you know but i think that that needs to be purposeful of how we recruit and how we diversify the applicants I think that takes a conscious effort that maybe people aren't putting in. So I yeah, agree with and, you. Yeah, and also, who who what's the composition like for the committee, the the one that's on the hiring committee? Somebody's got to speak yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. You know. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I'm I'm 100 on board. Um. So uh, I want to talk to you. So I I see you. Uh, you're you're. I want to. You're almost like I want to say a Twitter cheerleader. Uh, with the CRNAs, I see you post all the time and uh, and uh, elevate, right? Elevate the CRNAs that are coming through and 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 uh, getting jobs, getting into programs, all that stuff. Uh, talk to me about a little bit of your presence in social media and uh, um, that component. Yeah, so I believe it maybe it was 2008 when I started to um, be in, involved in social media, especially at, at, it was for Facebook first then it was Twitter and then it was Instagram. Now it's funny, um, with Twitter, I have, how can I put it there? I I see more, I'm more engaged with the academia, the academia, um, people, you know, like those that are our faculty that are deans that are, are researchers. Um, whereas on Instagram, I have a much more, I have a much, um, bigger following, maybe like 15,000, almost 16,000 followers, but those are the nurses that, and the nurse, nursing students, um, primarily of color who are interested in either going into nurse, nurse anesthesia or in the process of applying to nurse anesthesia or that are CRNAs. The, it's the the engagement is weird. The engagement and the ones that you want to diversify in your program are on are landed in in Instagram land, and the ones that are teaching or the ones that are responsible of hiring or anything like that, they're on Twitter world. 
you know, so, so for they're somehow not living, they're, they're not, not living in the same. same right, right, right. Same. So you're talking to, so even though I might tweet something, t- trust me, I, you know, I usually expand what I have to say on Facebook and on Instagram and I get a lot, uh, you know, the, the analytics is, you know, through the roof, um, when it comes to the Instagram, um, um, following and the engagement and the shares and things like that. But what I'm, what I'm most proud of is that when we make the announcement that we're having a diversity CRNA event, especially because of the pandemic, right? Yeah. Everything had to be converted to Zoom or online, but we re- actually had more nurses come to that event because it's not a capacity issue. Right, so now we right. got, now, now, you know, last year we had four Zoom events with 200 plus different nurses at each event, but we don't have a capacity issue. But that still tells me that there's a, there's, there's, um, some, somebody needs to do something about this. And I continue to, um, make a path for them, you know, and, uh, and it's not just about getting into nurse anesthesia. What about when they become CRNAs, right? So some of them, I try to urge them to go for the PhDs. Others are becoming chief CRNAs. Some of them are getting into faculty roles now. Um, they're military CRNA. So right now, it's not just getting them in. It's, it's about what are they going to do after they become CRNAs. And by doing all of that, you're just changing the whole culture of it. A lot of yeah, people that can't yeah. do that. You know, you got to change the culture. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> uh, now, um, as you're as you're mentioning this, and when the when I don't want to say if when the world goes back to normal, are you planning on uh, keeping? Um, uh, like a sort of a, a Zoom presence so you can reach out to more or uh, uh, how are you thinking about that? Well, I'm thinking about um, combining the two where I can either, instead of having four maybe face-to-face events, maybe have two face-to-face and two um, online. Because some people may not be able to afford or you know can fly out to, like our last face-to-face event was at Texas Christian University. Um, so some people, somebody from Michigan or California or New York, maybe, you know, may, may not be able to afford it. And and that's fine. But I think what, because of the pandemic, things changed and we have to change and adapt as well. And, and like I said, I mean, as far as a capacity issue, issue, instead of us saying, I'm sorry, we can't have you come to this event because it's, it's full with our, at least with our online um, um, capacity, you know, I mean, capacity is not an issue. So we're going to definitely keep both of them. Um, But like I said, I mean, you know, every time we had an event, whether it was face-to-face or Zoom, um, we still had, and and when I say Zoom, I'm not talking about a two-hour Zoom. I'm talking about eight hours of content. Yeah, They stay on. They don't even drop. They don't even drop. So, you know, you can't have PowerPoint at the PowerPoint. You got to keep it very engaged. <laughs> yeah, so. That's, 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 uh, uh, that's a whole feat on a, of itself. So, right, uh, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I have a, so I want to, just because I know there's going to be listeners who are looking to CRNA programs who are probably going to tune in specifically because you're, you're talking. So I want to make sure uh, that we have an opportunity for you to uh, give them any kind of advice if they're looking to get into a CRNA program as a, uh, whether they're a new nurse or an experienced nurse, what's the, what's the path uh, if you are going to uh, have somebody, um, uh, in your let's say sitting with you and say, how do I how do how do I get into a CRNA program? Uh, what's some of the some of your pearls of wisdom? Well, okay, so basically, well, I, I, I would give the same information as if they were at a um, HBCU school of nursing. You know, we would talk to them in this way and would say, listen, this is the pathway that you need to do, and also we'll we'll give them information too, so they don't have to you know try to memorize this. But basically, um, after they finish uh, their nursing. Uh, because almost all the programs right now, they're converting to the d- doctorate, so the DMP or the DNAP program. So the thing is, is that um, they need the ICU experience. They need at least one or two years uh, at a minimum. They need to have shadowed a CRNA. They have to do that. Uh, they also have to, um, it depends on the institution where you have to do well on your and pass the GRE exam 
But I'm telling you right now, there's a long list of nurse anesthesia programs who are drop that is dropping that requirement. And basically by just dropping that requirement, they're even getting more applicants of color going into that program. So it's either, you know, they can they can apply to one or two programs and, you know, one with the GRE, one without the GRE is totally up to them. Um, they also need to um, have a personal statement that needs to be submitted to, to the nurse anesthesia program, but they got to be very careful when they go to the website of that program. They have to follow directions, right? So if it says 500 word count, don't, don't submit 800. Right. You know what I mean? Um, if it says, you know, do this in an APA format, do it in an APA format. And, and also they'll have a opportunity to um, interview as well, right? But because of COVID, in, you know, in the past year, almost all of the, um, the, 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 the interviews have been online, Zoom-like type, type, type of events. So that's why we also have mock interviews, too, uh, mm-hmm. about exactly what to do. We, we don't tell them what to say, but we'll critique what they what they're, you know, what they what they're saying and what we don't hear sometimes. Um, so we you know we'll go over that information as well. So that's just the part of just getting in, right? So when they go into the nurse anesthesia program, we'll we'll still continue the mentorship, but we do let them know in advance what that program is like, you know. So it's you know, you're not working anymore full time. You have to give up your full time job. So that's a huge sacrifice for anybody yep. to go into yep. a program. So, so that's a huge sacrifice. So you got to take that into consideration, especially if you have kids. Um, if, do you have that support system at home? You know, uh, so the thing is, is that you're going from two incomes to one income sometimes or one income to no income, you know? Yeah. So take that into consideration. Do I want diversity in nurse anesthesia? Absolutely. But I want to make sure financially, if it's better for you to apply next year, so you can save up and pay down debt. Do that instead. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You know what I mean. I hundred percent agree. You don't want to. You don't want to be in the middle of a program and realize you can't pay your rent. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I agree. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's all about being, you know, uh, preparation. Just it's yeah. it's, it's, it's ninety percent preparation. Now you mentioned some something, and I want to touch base on this. There are a lot of institutions that don't allow shadowing. Um, most uh, for, and, and I know mentioned that that would be like one of the main things people should do. And I know one like institution in Southern California, which is one of the biggest ones that that's out here that doesn't allow shadowing. Um, how do they, how do they do that? How do they get over that barrier? Yes. So each state have a, uh, nurse anesthesia association, right? So I live in New Jersey. So there's the New Jersey association of nurse anesthetists. In California is the California Association of Nurse Nurses and Georgia, right. same thing, right? So typically what I tell nurses also too is to go on the website of, of the state where you reside in or at least the state where you're planning on even applying to the nurse anesthesia program. And what it, on the website, not all, but uh, many of those websites from the different states, they have shadowing experience oh. where they can connect um, somebody will be responsible of connecting you with someone else um, at another hospital. So they may not have an opportunity to to shadow at the hospital where either you work at or the hospital that you just mentioned. But there are that's how you connect with other CRNAs. Wow, too, that's that's awesome. Right. So yeah. So the the California Association of Nurse Nesters, um there is a section where there there's you know for uh, for nurses that are interested in nurse anesthesia. I would suggest that they go on to that as well. So the websites, definitely the websites for any nurse interested in an- anesthesia is number one, um, make sure that they peruse the website of the nurse anesthesia program that they're applying to. Um, the state nurse anesthesia association, that website as well, plenty of information about, about nurse anesthesia that's going on in that particular state. And then also the AANA, the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists. But um, the, the website, you know, perusing the, the rep- website of the nurse anesthesia program is very important because they need to see the admission criteria, the clinical sites, the curriculum, and also the faculty profile. They need to know if they're going to be scheduled with an interview, you need to know who that faculty is, what type of research interest they have, what type of teaching interest that they have. There's a lot of homework that the nurse have to do too. So, you know, 
I can give you that information, but it's up to you to click. Right. <laughs> it you makes, know. <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's why I always tell my I'm like, I can give you all the information you want, but at some point you're going to have to do the legwork. Uh, for, that's for, right. To do that's that. right. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, great information. Uh, I want to be cognizant of your time. Um, anything else you want to share before uh, we sign off? No, no, no. Again, like I said, I appreciate the time. Um, and the invitation that you gave me and afforded me this opportunity to speak about nurse anesthesia and my passion. So thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you being on the show. I'm, I want, I'm going to, I might ask you to come back because I want to talk about scope of practice. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, but I want to do like maybe with bring some NPs also, I want to have a, like a, maybe a combo show of talk about scope of practice of, uh, advanced practice nursing. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll have that. Dis- we'll have you back, and we'll have that discussion. Um, so, thank you so much. We have been listening to uh, Dr. Rolina Gould. Uh, um, uh, for like I said, you are uh, sort of the essence of what this show is about. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. Um, so, with that said, um, I want to wish all of our listeners a great rest of their week, and we will see you soon. Have a great one. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.